It's Tuesday, March 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Inflation keeps rising for the moment and could get worse before it gets better as the situation in Ukraine shows no sign of slowing down. Trying to figure out when prices will come down is tough and depends on many factors affecting cars, rent, and energy costs. Gwen Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for what's coming down and what's going up this year. Next, a new study looking at brain scans of people before and after contracting COVID shows that they had more loss of gray matter and tissue damage than those who did not get infected. Notably, the study looked at those that were older and had more mild infections, meaning they did not have to go to the hospital. The shrinkage and damage was primarily in areas associated with smell. Pam Bellick, health and science writer at The New York Times, joins us for more. Finally, more Americans are reporting that they're starting to feel the pain of the health worker shortage. Demand in health services is going back up as people are getting into their regular checkup routines, but they are finding it difficult navigating canceled appointments or delayed surgeries. More than one in five people said they skipped annual checkups and getting back hasn't been so smooth. Tina Reed, healthcare editor at Axios, joins us for how the health worker shortage continues to affect us. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. One third of all the inflation was because of automobile sales. There weren't enough semiconductors to make all the cars that people wanted to buy. And guess what? Prices of automobiles went way up. Joining us now is Gwyn Guilford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Gwyn. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about inflation. It's on everybody's mind right now. I know the Biden administration is doing everything they can to fix this, but you know, there's a lot of other pressures that contribute to inflation, which really make it hard to get control over. And uh, you wrote an article uh, looking at different sectors, uh, you know, taking a look under the hood of the economy to see what prices could come down this year, what prices could continue to go up. And, you know, when economists are looking at a lot of this stuff, you have to look kind of a year out. So a lot of these things are uh, predictions, projections are basically saying by December, you know, these numbers will go down or go up this X amount. Um, so they do expect inflation to fall between 27 and maybe the upper range of 4% by December. It's a long way off still. So, uh, uh, Gwen, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? This is unusual. Usually when inflation is really high, it's because the economy is overheating and, you know, there's no more slack left in the economy. And almost always the way you bring inflation down in that situation is a recession, whether one caused by external events or by tightening by the Fed. But economists I talk to, they see inflation coming in the realm of something, you know, being more acceptable to okay for the economy and probably more acceptable to the Fed within this year. And, you know, it's fairly fast. And the reason why, you know, like, how is this possible? It's 7.5%, probably going to be breaking 8% in February and March. Like, that's really high. So, you know, I talk to these economists who specialize in sort of rebuilding CPI, you know, the consumer price index piece by piece. And what really comes through is how much of the inflation of the moment, how much of that is still being caused by pandemic weirdness. And as the economy normalizes, that those prices start to return to more normal, you know, rates of increase, that will take a lot of pressure off, you know, the current inflation rate. 
cars and trucks are a huge one. It actually uh, accounts for probably about 1% of the overall inflation right now. And we've been hearing all these pandemic pressures, right? Uh, so these semiconductor chips that are a real problem in uh, new car production. The average new car went for $46,000. So that was up more than $5,000 uh, from a year prior. And this is just <laughs> cra uh, crazy. The price for used cars and trucks was uh, left 40.5% in January. That is huge. Yeah, it is huge. And you know, so can these prices keep growing at this pace? They've already gone up so much. And probably they will for a couple more months, maybe into the middle of the year. But economists expect a couple things to happen. The chips shortage to start to really meaningfully improve and then demand to calm down a bit. That's probably already happening. Like a big reason for the price surge of the last year was rental car companies ditched their fleets when the pandemic hit, right, to sort of improve their cash positions. And then demand came back way faster than anyone expected. And they had to like start buying up cars really fast. So they've mostly rebuilt their fleets now. And you know, so you don't have that kind of demand pressure anymore. So as those things start to percolate through to prices, prices for new cars probably will slow quite a bit. And by the end of the year, used car prices, you know, most of the economists I talk to expect them to even maybe come down a bit. And that's going to, you know, that'll take at least one percentage point, maybe 1.5 percentage points um, or more off inflation. And that's a lot. The cost of housing, the cost of rent is also really high. Uh, this also kind of the back and forth of what was happening happening throughout the pandemic. And right now there's 1.4 million new households that formed in 2021. So all these people buying up properties, renting up properties, are these going to be coming down by the end of the year? Yeah, those, that, so the rent is probably one area where you're going to see inflationary pressure increase because it's kind of a wild card. We don't really know why rents have gone up by a lot of measures. And the way the Labor Department measures rent, it's, it tends to be slower moving. So you're seeing that's starting to come through now and rent is getting pretty hot. And, and that's probably going to continue throughout the year. But is the rental pressure that's happening, is that because people who had moved in with their parents are getting place of their own and it's going back to normal and people who had moved out to the exurbs are coming back to cities? Is that causing rental rates to go up so much? And that's probably going to calm down as everything returns to normal this year, hopefully. Or, you know, if it's caused by like, economic pressure building, wages going up, right. you know, things like that, that's probably, you know, rent could end up contributing quite a lot. So that's something to watch. And it is a little bit of a wild card. Obviously, we're seeing what's going on in Ukraine and with Russia invading the country there. There's massive disruption to oil supplies. There could be more disruptions going on, depending on sanctions and stuff that keep coming down the pipeline. But energy prices are really, really high right now. Yeah, this is a really difficult one for anyone to forecast right now. As far as gasoline goes, the economists that do this sort of bottoms-up reconstruction are looking at the oil futures, right? And the curve, you know, it's definitely come up a lot, but further out in the year, the expectation is that prices will come down somewhat, whether that's because increased production in the U.S., which, you know, hasn't come back the way lots of folks expected, and, you know, maybe other supply coming online, who knows? But yeah, that is really hard to anticipate right now. And, you know, sort of as however 
oil prices tend to trend, you know, natural gas will probably follow a similar trajectory, but it really depends on what happens, as you said, with Ukraine and with the geopolitical response to Russia. Gwen Guilliford, economics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Most of the areas where they noticed this change were in brain areas related to sense of smell, which kind of makes sense. But because it's the brain and there's so much overlap in the brain and almost everything in the brain has like multiple functions, some of these areas also have other brain functions related to memory and things like that. So it raises questions about like, what does this mean? Joining us now is Pam Bellick, health and science writer at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Pam. I'm happy to join you. Well, I wanted to talk about an interesting thing that is COVID-related, and this is not to raise any alarms. This is all uh, interesting, uh, an interesting study, but there's a lot more questions, really, that need to be answered for this. But we're looking at brain scans of people before and after COVID infection, and some of them are showing more loss of gray matter and tissue damage than in those that uh, didn't have COVID and uh, particularly in the area that is uh, around around smell, which kind of tracks with you know a lot of people that lost their sense of smell and taste when they got infected. But Pam, tell us what we're seeing in this study. Yeah, exactly. I think you characterized it exactly right. It's a really interesting study because it appears to be the first time that researchers have had access to brain scans of people before they got COVID and then about... Three years later, they had scans of these same people, and some of those people had COVID in between. So this is medical information that comes from a huge sort of treasure trove of medical records in the United Kingdom. It's called the UK Biobank, and they have medical records of lots and lots of people. And what they did is they focused on almost 800 people, and and they were able to see about 400 of them had got COVID, and so they had these before scans of their brain, and then they had an after scan about four and a half months after they had their COVID infection. So they were looking at this to see, did anything change in their brain? And what they found is that the people who had COVID lost more gray matter than the people who didn't. So normal aging, we naturally lose a little bit of gray matter in our brains every year tiny percentage. And the patients who had COVID ended up losing significantly more, maybe up to 2% more. It's not huge, but in terms of sort of brain volume, it's significant. And as you said, most of the areas where they noticed this change were in brain areas related to sense of smell, which kind of makes sense. But because it's the brain and there's so much overlap in the brain and almost everything in the brain has like multiple functions, some of these areas also have other brain functions related to memory and things like that. So it raises questions about like, what does this mean? Some things to note, though, from this study, they were older people. So these were people 51 to 81 that they were looking at. And also most of these people that were infected had milder symptoms. So they, and you know, we don't know what the correlation were between the people that actually did lose their sense of smell or people that had long COVID, which uh, tracks with some of these other uh, neurological things like, uh, you know, the brain fog and uh, a memory loss and just kind of hard to normally function. 
Exactly. One of the big unknowns, there are many unknowns with this study. One of the big unknowns is what was health like for these folks? Did they have symptoms? Did they lose their sense of smell? Do they have long COVID? We really don't know that. The researchers did not have access to that kind of information. So they're sort of looking in a vacuum. What they're, what they're finding is they did see brain changes, but they cannot correlate them to people's symptoms. So, yes, and they were older people, so this can not say really anything about anybody who's under 50. And it's just sort of raising this question. I think the most definitive thing that you can say is that it is one of the strongest studies showing that something does actually change in your brain when you have COVID. We don't really know why. There's a few different theories about what could be causing this, but it appears pretty good evidence here anyway that having COVID can produce some kind of change in your brain. The other big unknown here is how long does this last? Because these folks were scanned only once after their COVID infection, about four and a half months after on average. But a year out, is their brain still look different? We don't know. So they think inflammation plays a big part in all of this. Yes, that's definitely one theory. Another theory that I thought was kind of interesting is that it's possible that if you're losing your sense of smell, the information, the sort of sensory information that being able to smell something carries to your brain is kind of interrupted. And so it's possible that what they call sensory deprivation is sort of causing some areas of your your brain to be less active and and maybe, you know, lose some of their their volume. So that's kind of interesting. The one area that I think most, but not everybody in the field is sort of has a consensus about is that it doesn't appear that COVID is a virus that invades the brain directly all that often. It might be able to, there's some evidence it can, but that doesn't seem to be the way this virus really works. So we're probably talking about an effect that is kind of secondary to your body's response to the infection. Pam Bellick, health and science writer at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. And while this problem has been sort of hidden, it's increasingly causing some real frustration for Americans. And as the CEO of Harris Poll pointed out, this isn't your typical consumer good. It's people's health we're talking about. Joining us now is Tina Reed, healthcare editor at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Tina. Thanks for having me. Well, we've been talking a lot throughout the pandemic about a health worker shortage. We're now seeing a lot of Americans really start to feel it when it comes to scheduling appointments for anything uh, or canceled surgeries, all sorts of stuff. These are all kind of the ripple effects that are happening. But we got some information from a CVS Health Harris Poll National Project here where Americans really just sounding off kind of on, on what they're feeling, how it's affecting them. So, Tina, help us walk through some of this. Yeah, so much of the story about the healthcare worker shortages, as you said, have really centered around that experience for healthcare workers and for healthcare facilities. And while this problem has been sort of hidden, it's increasingly causing some real frustration for Americans. And as the CEO of Harris Poll pointed out, this isn't your typical consumer good, it's people's health we're talking about. Right, exactly. And a lot of that stuff took a back seat during the pandemic. We're concerned about a lot of other things. And we know a lot of people didn't 
go for their regular checkup. So right now what we're seeing is kind of this supply and demand imbalance. Uh, the supply of healthcare workers is a little low, so we're trying to rebound there. But the demand has come back up. Now it's not just the, the COVID stuff. Now people are getting back into the rhythm of seeing their doctor, and uh, there's a huge demand for those services. Exactly. So more than 40% of the respondents polled said that they are at a point where they're really reconnecting with the health system and healthcare system again, and they're really reassessing their health after the pandemic lockdowns and restrictions. For instance, half of those polled said they're trying to stay more physically active. 43% said that they're prioritizing their health habits and their goals more than they were before the pandemic. So people are really trying to like pay attention more and it's creating this real mismatch in supply and demand when it comes to the healthcare system. We've done some of these stories on the podcast too, where you know a lot of health experts are pointing to what the next big health crisis could be. Cancers could be one of them. You know, a lot of people skip those annual checkups, didn't uh, maybe get that diagnosis they could have gotten earlier, and that's one of the big key things that they say uh, could bite us really badly later on. Exactly. So we don't actually have the numbers yet. It's hard to really get our arms around how big of a problem this is going to be. But over the next five, 10 years, I think we're really going to see an explosion in some of these, um, even these chronic care conditions or chronic conditions that might have been caught earlier, addressed earlier, example of being of great concern because a lot of screenings were the first things to get put off um, during the pandemic. One of the interesting things you had in the article, too, is consumers might be less likely to tolerate or understand the source of a lot of these delays. You know, you're trying to get back to the doctor, trying to get your appointments going, and they're saying, well, you know, we can't do it very soon. A little unrelated, but even trying to see the dentist, right? You know, it's like, hey, do you have an availability a few months from now is kind of the constant thing that you hear with regards to that. Uh, But a lot of people don't get that. You know, they're just, hey, I, I need to go now. Why can't you see me now? Exactly. So uh, the Harris Poll also pointed to another one of their projects from back in January that found four in 10 Americans really don't have patience anymore for some of these supply chain problems and some of these delays happening during the pandemic. Um, I think we all kind of relate to this. Everybody is kind of in this point at this point where they are so done with the pandemic and everything that comes with it. And that extends to patients as well. Uh, The quote um, the CEO of Harris Poll said is patients are losing patients. And I think we just all can relate to that and all need to just try to pack our patients a little bit more as we interact with the healthcare system because it's got some real strains right now. I mean, the only silver lining right now is that a new jobs report is saying that, you know, the healthcare sector is one of the sectors that gained a lot of people in the past year. In the past few months, they started increasing that hiring. But the effects of that will take time, right? It takes time to train people. It takes time to really get those parts back up and running where it'll start making a dent in that demand that we have going. Exactly. So a lot of healthcare experts right now are calling for a lot of investment into the pipeline of future talent into the healthcare industry, but also calling for just better investment in the workforce we have now because people were overworked. A lot of people did think about leaving the industry or actually did leave the industry. And they're saying we see the vulnerabilities of our public health care or our healthcare system and our public health infrastructure. We need to put more money where our mouths are when it comes to trying to fix it. Tina Reed, healthcare editor at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media 
at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.